Hey, welcome to Win the Shift, a podcast for when life and faith go off script. My name is Michael Frost. Welcome in to another episode, episode number 43 of the In the Shift podcast. I think it's fair to say, if you're a regular listener, like if you tune in sort of as these come out, you'll be aware that the pandemic era has slowed me down a little bit uh, for a number of intersecting reasons. Um, But I am looking forward to um, the remainder of this year. I feel like uh, there are some efforts going on at this end to increase, to to enable the increase in regularity of the podcast. So uh, I'm looking forward to rolling out uh, a bunch more episodes this year, which is exciting and I'm looking forward to it. Um, I hope, as always, that you're doing okay out there. I I was contemplating just in this last week, as we've kind of been through the 12-month anniversary of the beginnings of our lockdowns here in New Zealand and, and our kind of in and out of lockdown life here, still remain very fortunate to be experiencing large doses of, of semi-normality intersected with, with the lockdowns that we're having here from time to time as we need to stamp out outbreaks. And it was just, I was just kind of struck by the, the bizarre nature of our time. And I, perhaps it's, it's been said so much that we're all ready to move on from that. And yet at the same time, I don't think we should just move on from, from that because I talked to a number of people and I experienced this myself where uh, we find ourselves thinking, gosh, this is, you know, I feel overwhelmed or stressed or anxious for all of these different reasons. And um, sometimes we forget that we are living in the midst of a global pandemic that is a unique event, you know. It's, uh, it's not unique in human history in that sense, but it is unique in our time. And, uh, and we are trying to deal with our regular lives as well as intersecting with all of the adjustments that we're having to make, all of the restrictions that come into play, all of the uncertainty, all of the plans made and then unmade and then made again and then unmade. Um, And so we should not underestimate the bizarre and challenging nature of the time in which we live right now. And so if you are feeling um, weighed down, anxious, if you're finding uh, work hard or parenting difficult or friendships are strained, uh, be reminded and remember that we are, we are navigating a deep level of complexity right now. So my encouragement to you is a, is a bit of self-compassion. That is, um, that is my sense for, for what we um, require of ourselves at the moment. Uh, as always, just in, in thinking about the podcast for this year, you are welcome and I haven't said this for a while for some reason, but you're welcome to get in touch uh, with me. Michael at intheshift.com is my email or go to intheshift.com is the website. Uh, if you'd like to just get in touch, tell a story, share anything that you've been reflecting on as you've listened to the podcast uh, or, or ask questions or whatever it might be, or maybe just to say hi. I'd love to hear from you. I know there's loads of you out there who are listening. So um, when I do hear from you, it is such a pleasure to my heart. Uh, to know that there are real people behind the statistics. Um, and of course, you can also uh, financially support In The Shift. You might not know that, but you can go to uh, intheshift at patreon.com and you'll find me there to support the work uh, that I'm doing through this and some other things that are in the pipeline. So uh, all of that said, I want to get on to, uh, to what we're talking about today. After my nice, encouraging, warm introduction about self-compassion, I'm now going to jump back to the topic of evil and the devil and demons and so on. So that sounds tremendous, doesn't it? Uh, In the last episode, if you listened, I introduced the topic of of evil, uh, the devil, and in particular focused on the language in in some of the um, ancient Christian texts about principalities, powers, and rulers of this dark age. And, And some forms of Christianity 
have interpreted this kind of language as these big sort of um, demons flying around causing terrible things to happen. But what we discussed in the last episode is that often what the authors of these texts seem to be getting at in their own way is that whether we talk about the personal and existential level or at a larger systemic level, harmful ways of being can become and do become greater than the sum of their parts. And the ancient language for this then in this particular tradition was was something like principalities and powers. It's trying to capture the sense that you, you can't narrow what it, some of the challenges that we face down to a person or to a particular incident or to something that's able to be sort of easily identified, fixed and corrected. Uh, we're talking about deep complexity here and we can even use the word evil sometimes to try and get a sense of what we're talking about and Evil becomes the word that we use for, for the ways in which human beings in particular are capable, yes, of profound beauty, compassion and love, but also capable of, of kind of unspeakable harm to one another, uh, to vulnerable people and, and to the world around us. And, and I don't think we can sort of steer our way around that. Um, and what happens is that this kind of harm, this kind of evil, to use that word, although I understand that for some people that word is very loaded, but... Um, we are capable of some extraordinarily harmful things, destructive ways of being. Um, and so what, what happens is that this kind of harm can become this emergent force that is, that is greater than any one person or action or even greater than the combination of people and actions. Uh, and so we were kind of reflecting on this idea that as we live our lives moment by moment, we are, we are shaped and we are impacted by all of the moments leading up to this one that we face right now. And so rather than acting as these totally independent, autonomous selves, you know, who are freely just making choices in any given moment, although there is an element of that, but we are um, we're acting within a network of relationships and encounters, both in the present and in the context of our history. And so we aren't these independent islands who are able to just make free, independent decisions, but we are always acting within a complex network of relationships and encounters and our intersecting histories. And often our kind of modern and, and almost quite mechanistic language in the West uh, struggles to capture this, you know, because a, a big part of Western philosophical uh, movement has been towards the individual, personal, autonomous, free self. Um, and so we struggle sometimes for language to describe how broken, harmful, and, and even evil ways of being can emerge and become a system that almost seems to have agency to it. And so actually sometimes going back into the tradition and finding older language for some of this, if we can, if we can grapple with it in, in healthy ways and, and perhaps um, undo some trigger points for ourselves, some of that New Testament language of this, of this need for liberation, of this sense of battle or of fighting not against humans but against powers and principalities, um, doesn't need to be thought of as language that's trying to describe some kind of invisible fight against fallen angels or, or whatever else we might interpret that to mean, but against the way that our human capacities for harm and violence actually intersect and combine to much, become much greater and much more powerful than the sum of their parts. Um, so in today's episode, what I want to do in light of all of that is to turn to the more personal, right? Talk about the language of spiritual attack, uh, language that's often used in some parts of the Christian tradition, as well as the possible idea of being tempted by the devil, uh, and also whether or not individuals can come under demonic influence and what would it mean to say that? And so on, right? So that sounds like fun. Yeah. Uh, this is episode 43 of In The Shift. Let's get into it.
Okay, so uh, I mentioned that I wanted to explore this language of spiritual attack. And the reason I want to do that is, and if you're not familiar with this language, let me try and give you a sense of, of maybe the way it's used sometimes by religious people, in particular Christian uh, folk. And it's a, it's a language I heard a lot, maybe especially in my in my 20s. Uh, and I guess in many respects, it's it's this way of trying to describe um, negative experiences and make sense of them. I think at its most basic, that's kind of what we're trying to do. But if you take a worldview in which there are um, thousands, if not millions of um, fallen angels, which is you know certainly some parts of the Christian tradition or large chunks of it, I guess think in, in these terms that there are these angels that then fell and became became these evil entities, and that these are called demons, and that these um, kind of essentially in the spirit realm are going around causing various um, negative behaviors, actions, or direct kind of a spiritual attack upon human beings in the world in which we live. And different cultures and at different times, people have had different explanations of trying to come up with ways to describe um, sometimes very ordinary occurrences in our lives that are really challenging or negative or harmful to us. Or sometimes these these things that are very hard to describe or hard to explain or that feel a paranormal or supernatural or whatever, whatever language your tradition gives you to try and describe that. And ancient societies had ways of trying to deal with that human kind of experience and we and we continue to deal with that now. Um, and I don't necessarily want to pick through all of the different ways in which that kind of language is used, but I think it does get to the idea that as human beings, we struggle to make sense of why things do not happen the way that we desire them to, anticipate them to, um, want, you know, things do not play out uh, in, the, in the way that we intend or conceive. And, um, and so this language of kind of I'm under spiritual attack is used to cover all sorts of ways in which life doesn't go the way that we want, sometimes quite inane and sometimes to try and describe really potent experiences. So sometimes it's just I don't understand why things aren't going right at the moment, you know. So um, what do I do if I'm, a, if I'm a person of faith who believes that God is at work in the world for my betterment, that God is at work to make things better for me, maybe to make me prosper, or to if I follow God, then things will go well for me because um, because God is good and God loves me. And then then I have to make sense of what happens when I wake up in the morning and I and I drive somewhere and I crash into a you know another car, a parked car because I wasn't looking properly. I was texting, uh, or maybe someone crashes into me, even worse, because uh, I can't explain that in the same way. And then I, you know, I, I, and then I go, I manage to still find my way to work. And then when I get there, my computer crashes and it dies. And then I, and then I go home and my partner breaks up with me. And, you know, like th- sometimes life just doesn't go well. Sometimes things go wrong. And, you know, there's, we have um, sometimes just superstitious ways of trying to say that, right? Which is, oh, bad things come in threes or good, you know. Uh, sometimes it seems like things just kind of clump together and layer on top of one another. It's like, man, how do I even deal with the with the layering of these things that are coming at me? And so maybe I'm under spiritual attack. Maybe this is evil entities out there who are who are trying to negatively affect my life. And that's a really understandable conclusion to make if you believe in a spiritual world. Uh, if you believe that there's more going on here than just material material reality. And, and so I kind of get that. It's a, it's a way to make sense of that. Uh, 
and certainly one that for many years of my life was the way that I made sense of what happened when things didn't go the, the way that I thought, especially as someone who was really aspiring to to follow the way of God and follow all the sort of principles and, and rules and guidelines that I thought God laid out for me. What do you do then when things aren't going well? Well, the answer must be spiritual attack. Um, and sometimes that was that was um, a really, this might sound like a strange thing if you're not used to it, but almost a comforting idea because some explanation can feel better than no explanation. You know, so um, I think about, you know, all the sorts of theories going around that people of people trying to make sense of life in a COVID era where people are, you know, all sorts of even conspiracy theories and all sorts of stuff where people are trying to make sense of things that otherwise they don't have an explanation for or a reason for. And so that, that we want to give meaning to things. And this is one way of doing that. And, you know, I've, I mean, I've been in probably um, church services in my life where uh, the sound system that is being used has some technical faults uh, and it's interpreted as being a spiritual attack upon what the church is trying to do in that particular meeting. Uh, and so maybe it's because the sound system always seems to work perfectly in the rehearsal and then and then suddenly go faulty during the service, you know, and say, so, oh, what's happening here? Ah, it's, it's, it's demonic beings that aren't pleased with the fact that we're holding this Christian meeting and so are trying to thwart our, our attempts rather than, oh, look, um, you're just as likely for that to happen when you try to, you know, you practice your Zoom meeting with your colleagues and then you actually go to do the Zoom meeting and suddenly everything doesn't seem to work. I don't know why that happens. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean there are there are Zoom demons assigned to attack you uh, when you try to start a Zoom meeting, you know. So, but again, it's like, how do, oh man, why do these things keep going wrong? Is there an explanation? And is there then something I can do? Because sometimes we feel really helpless when things go badly. And if we don't know what to do, then an explanation that gives us a sense of something to do, which actually is what the language of spiritual attack does, can be very um, reassuring to us. Because now if it's a spiritual attack, well, I can pray about that. I can I can pray against those things. I can uh, recruit the forces of heaven or whatever, you know, whatever language kind of you, you have for that to try and resist um, that negative stuff. And I don't mean to sort of um, deride or or mock that way of seeing or believing. In fact, many people in the world do interpret their reality this way, and I have for many years of my life. And and so it's a natural and understandable thing for us to want to find ways to explain and make sense of our experience. Um, and sometimes it's not things like the sound system isn't working. Sometimes it's, it's a, a sense of dread you know, a sense of, of darkness or anxiety or of a sudden um, a rush of panic. And that can feel like, well, where's that coming from? Uh, and if we don't have um, a helpful understanding of maybe the way our brain works or of mental health or, or, or whatever, then, then that sense of dread or anxiety can feel like, well, what's the, what's the way to explain that? Well, maybe spiritual attack is, is the way to explain that. Um, now the reason I'm kind of honing in on this is because I is because I think while on one level it's really understandable language it's really what we're doing is really uh, I have a lot of compassion for that but on the other hand there are some implications downstream of this kind of assumption that can then cause us some more difficulties at a personal level and so um, and what do I mean by that well I guess um, 
as we start to use this language of I'm under spiritual attack, then we start to interpret all of our lives as constantly in this battle against the forces of evil that are around us and are invisible to us. And so you can find people caught up with this idea that behind every rock and under every um, you know, accident or incident or thing that doesn't go well, there's some kind of demonic entity or force or being there trying, you know, trying to trip us up and betray us. And that can lead to a to a, a heightened kind of paranoia about life. Um, it can, it, or it can just lead to expending an enormous amount of energy trying to overcome these invisible forces, uh, whether through prayer or, or other spiritual practices. And yet, um, what we often find is that this kind of um, intense amount of energy that's expended in that way doesn't necessarily uh, transform and change the external things that are actually happening to us and around us. Uh, not only that, sometimes they can exacerbate them. So someone who really is struggling with aspects of their mental wellness, for example, if, um, if what's going on is some chemical imbalances in the brain that need to be treated or some deep-seated trauma that needs to be uh, worked through and you know, a, a combination of medication and therapy and caring community and so on are going to be the best ways for someone to move through that and to and to um, confront it and 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 so on. You know, instead, sort of labelling it as, as some kind of spiritual attack or something like that can, in fact, uh, help us avoid the real problem that might be going on for us or the real challenge that we're facing. And um, and later on, other kind of spiritually heavy reasons for it that that increase our sense of anxiety or paranoia or doubt or despair. And uh, so while on one level it functions as this kind of explanatory uh, symbol, right? Oh, I can make sense of that now because I know oh, I'm under spiritual attack. Uh, on another sense, it can in fact hinder us from being able to, to deal with what it is. You know, sometimes uh, people will be having relationship challenges uh, and and we'll say, well, our relationship's just under a lot of spiritual attack right now, um, and I and I get that, I, I totally get that because it's like, man, this thing started out beautiful, but now it seems to be struggling. And why is that? Well, it must be, it must be some external force coming in to to attack us. Um, that gives us something to explain our experience. But probably what it, what it can stop us from doing is pausing and asking some real. Um, intentional questions about the dynamics of our relationship and how we are being with each other and where those challenges might be coming from, you know. And so um, and so I guess what I want to say here about this language of spiritual attack is that it's understandable, but if what we mean when we say that are these kind of demonic entities flying in and out of our lives, kind of ruining our sound equipment and sort of microwaves and stopping us from getting car parks and also causing relational breakdowns and all of these kinds of things... Um, you know, if that's what we mean when we say that, then in fact that stuff can, can, while in the first sense be reassuring, in the longer term be be quite debilitating. Um, and so instead there is this invitation, I think, there's, there's this lovely little phrase in one of the um, wisdom texts of the Old Testament, in fact, um, and it says, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. You know, this sense that in fact um, life happens as it happens. Like I say, we live in a complex, interconnected network of relationships and encounters and histories and complexities and trauma. And when we live in a world like that and in a planet that itself and a cosmos that is that is dynamic and and um, filled with um, 
both beauty and um, really sometimes damaging natural events, right? When we live in that kind of complex world, uh, what we find is that generally speaking, um, we just ex- we experience the complexity of that world. That's what it is to be human in the world that we live in. And so rather than having to sort of label all of that as a spiritual attack every time something negative comes across our path, what would happen if we were able to accept that as the complexity of the world that we live in? And then ask, okay, now, how does my faith tradition, how do my spiritual practices, how does my sense of the divine, if I have that, or my sense of community, how does that help me to navigate my way through this life that is complex and interwoven? Uh, so that's that's the first kind of suggestion as we talk about the language of spiritual attack. Uh, the second thing I wanted to talk about was this language of the devil made me do it or the devil tempted me perhaps. And you know, that, that that's grounded in, in many respects in this story of the Christ who right at the start of his uh, time in ministry, his time roving around as this um, Messiah, he goes out into the wilderness for 40 days and uh, the story says that he's tempted by the devil. And I guess there's a lot we could say about that text and I don't want to spend half an hour talking about that story except to say that there are a number of ways of trying to interpret what's going on in that story. And we come at it with a very firm notion often of a personified devil who is this particular being. But that's not the only way of understanding that language in the ancient world or, or even in, in those New Testament texts. And so it's not just as clear cut as that. You know, the the Satan or the Satan is a name for that's translated as, as the accuser. And at different points in uh, biblical history, that kind of word that the, the Satan or the Satan is, is used, understood in different ways. Sometimes as one of um, God's agents sent to play a certain role. That's in, in some quite primitive understandings of God in the ancient world. Uh, other times is what happens when we experience accusation that comes from others or even from within ourselves. And so we, we the, the, the language that develops is to sort of personify, similarly to the way that the Bible personifies something like wisdom, uh, something like that sense of both inner and outer accusation that comes against us, um, either by others or by our own sense of um, fractured self. That, that sort of personification of that is is at times in the tradition what is meant by something like the Satan. Um, it is true that within particular sort of Jewish streams, then a more personified being is thought of. And so it's not it's not clear exactly what the New Testament writers thought, of, thought when they used this kind of language. It's not clear what is meant exactly by the story of the Christ. Um, but at the very least, I guess what we could say is there is this experience that the Christ is having of having to confront um choices that he needs to make right and so he goes out into the wilderness and he has these he has these he has uh, what, the way the gospel writers tell it is having these experiences with the satan or with the devil where where he's been confronted with how is he going to live this next period of his life is he going to give in to the lure for power and violence and 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 taking things for himself or is he going to live in this state of dependence and surrender? Is he going to live his ministry out in this way? And so he's, there's this internal wrestle at the very least that's going on in the Christ story here of temptation. Uh, but it doesn't have to be read, and I don't 
I mean, it could be read this way, and I'm not telling you which reading to take. Uh, and that may depend a little bit on your worldview and the way that you see things. Um, but it certainly could be read as Christ wrestling with that sense of, of, of self. How am I going to navigate this path ahead? Am I going to lean into the, to that darker uh, side of power and ego? Or am I going to lean into the place of surrender and, and service? Um, so that's one way to think of that story, I suppose. And, and, and more broadly then, again, um, in a way similar to, to what we're talking about with the language of spiritual attack, the language of sort of some external force tempting me to do something, I think is trying to describe um, that experience that we have when we find ourselves doing things almost uh, apart from our will. And, um, you know, I have not lived my life with a serious drug or alcohol addiction or something like that, so... I can't speak to that kind of experience, but I do know what it is to be driving home, having made a decision to eat healthily, and then to find myself parking my car, walking into a convenience store, buying something fatty, greasy, whatever it might be, and standing at the counter and having sort of paid for it, then looking down and going, how did I end up in here? I didn't even want to do this. And it's almost like I've had an out-of-body experience where um, something has lured me <laughs> um, out of my car, it has lured me to stop my car and to walk into this place and to buy this thing. You know, As someone who has, has a complicated relationship with food, which I've, I mentioned before on the podcast, sometimes I find myself, it's, it's like there's an external force luring or tempting me. And I think in the ancient world, the best way to maybe maybe one of the ways to try and describe that is to is to personify that. Is and then we've got something to kind of resist and fight against. And that's kind of understandable. That that very much in some sense is the kind of experience we're having in that moment. Perhaps, and again, this is just a suggestion for you to contemplate, what might be more helpful for you. Um, is to actually understand the way the human brain works and the way that compulsions work and the way that addictions work and the way that our that our neural networks form and that even though we have this quite um, explicit sense of our own self, our own consciousness, you know, so when I think of me speaking to you right now, I'm thinking of myself as this individual where, oh yeah, I'm, I'm me, I'm just my consciousness speaking. But in fact, what's happening is that my brain is processing and, and all of these multiple neural networks are kind of coming together to form into this, the emergence of this kind of conscious self. And yet in my brain, there are layers of, there's the, there's the more sort of primitive and ancient brain, the reptilian brain, sometimes you'll hear people talk about, and then layered onto that, you know, is kind of, um, and so you've got the, the, the primal drives of fear and, and, and flight and fight and um, you've got the emotional self and the emotional um, regulation that your brain does and your body does for you. And then the kind of more rational and, and sort of coherent self-reflective self-aware conscious part is, the, is the, the most recent development. And so, so sometimes what's happening, <laughs> what's happening when I stop the car and go into the shop and buy something that I actually, part of me doesn't want, right, is that there's a part of my brain that is, um, has developed compulsion, has developed dependence, has developed a sense of comfort association that says, I'm feeling the need for some kind of reassurance. I'm feeling the need for, for something good. I want to have a good feeling because I feel stressed or anxious or sad 
or under threat or highly strung or like I'm facing something difficult or challenging. And um, I might not even know all of that consciously. I might not even know all of that in my sort of frontal, you know, the frontal lobe of my brain may not be aware of those things, but a part of my body is aware of that. And parts of my brain have formed these rituals and habits and neural pathways that say, you know what will make you, you know what will make you feel a little calm and you know what will give your body a sense of relief is if you go and eat that thing, if you go and buy that thing and satiate that sense uh, with with something fatty or greasy or salty or, or whatever it might be. Um, and it feels like this external luring force that's almost a, apart from me. But the reason it appears, it feels so apart from me is because it's, it's part of my brain body system that isn't necessarily primarily functioning at the kind of conscious, rational, self-aware part of my brain, but in other parts of my brain. And so... Um, Pushing that out to an external spiritual force and then having to try and resist or defeat that force. This is the kind of thing that I spent, again, probably in my sort of late teen and, and early 20s in my life, trying to, to fight this. Um, and, you know, I've talked about, you know, the purity problem, you know, all that kind of stuff on the podcast before as well and and um, sort of conservative Christian relationships with sex and sexuality, um, as well, all sorts of domains in our life where we're... Um, Christians and often young, younger Christians are struggling to make sense of why they experience compulsion or desire for things that maybe they don't want to feel or don't feel they should feel or whatever it might be. And one way to try and cope with that is to externalize that and personify it as some kind of demon or some kind of devil out there who is trying to take me down because they're anti-God and anti-me. And then I've got, again, something to fight against, something to resist. Um, but what I if I if I frame it all up in that way, the devil tempted me, the devil made me do it, you know, it was this, it was sort of, it was this external thing that was trying to take me down. Um, you know, I've heard, I've, I've heard a, um, a mega church pastor from, from North America. Hello, North America. Hi there. Uh, quite good at producing mega church pastors and uh, well done. <laughs> and, and one of them talking about uh, when he had cheated on his wife and, uh, the way he explained that, now that he'd been kind of, I don't know, if you're not familiar with this, there's this process of what's often called restoration, where essentially, you know, this this pastor or leader who's cheated on their spouse uh, is then kind of goes through this process of being stood down and then comes back at a later time, having been restored by some mentor or something like that. So after his restoration, he explained it as, you know, he had been leading the charge as this past senior pastor of this large church. And what had happened was his church hadn't been praying for him enough. And because he was a leader, he was a prime target for the for the enemy, um, you know, the devil, demons, whatever it might be. And so he was he was lured and kind of tempted. And because he was so exhausted from having to pour out into his church community and they weren't really supporting him and praying for him, he ultimately was tempted uh, through this kind of um, evil enemy uh, to behave in this way that was ultimately um, problematic, right? Ultimately um, very damaging to his relationship both with his spouse and with his community. Um, now, that's a pretty amazing way <laughs> 
to avoid really taking personal responsibility for one's actions <laughs> or trying to understand uh, why it is that I was so desperately in need of something like that, even though uh, a big part of me was was playing the role of this holy man of God. Um, instead of asking those really hard probing questions that invite a lot of self-reflection, that the answer becomes, oh, I was under spiritual attack and I wasn't giving getting, getting enough support to resist it, and so I gave into it. Um, I don't think that helps as a, as a framework in the long run. What might help is if we could understand ourselves a little better, if we could if we could find some self-reflection, whether that's through understanding science and the science of humanness and neural pathways, and also from a religious perspective. Um, let's ask ourselves, how, do, how can our spiritual rituals and practices and beliefs and experiences actually become a resource to us in those challenges? So rather than just trying to sort of pray it away or explain it away or externalize it and personify it as this thing out there, it was it was that was the fault of that demon that lured me rather than, or the devil that tempted me rather than my own fractured self. Um, instead of sort of pushing it away like that, actually how do the, how do the resources of prayer and contemplation and meditation and self-reflection um, and community, how do they become resources that help me navigate the complexity of my life with all of the challenges that come with it? Okay, so um, what I'm what I'm trying to do here, I suppose, is I don't want to I don't want to try and explain everything away as if I know, okay? Because that's that's not my intention. There are things that happen in life that I certainly <laughs> do not understand. And there are many people in the world who interpret reality quite differently to me. Uh, we all interpret the world differently, and that's for a lot of reasons. Our experiences, our culture, our education, our family of origin, uh, our experiences of life. But what I am, I guess, hoping to do is to find a way to talk about the experiences we have of life in ways that I find to be most helpful. And I'm offering those to you in case they might be helpful to you too. And I do think that some of the um, overly supernatural forms of of faith and religion where there are supernatural and paranormal explanations for everything that happens, whether that be God or the devil or the demons or the angels or whatever, I do think that can become um, really unhelpful to us, certainly in our context, in my context. That's, that's my experience. I don't then want to just strip away all religious and spiritual language because I don't think that, personally, I don't feel like that actually accurately reflects the human experience or at least my human experience either. Instead, what I'm hoping to do is to say, how do, how do our spiritual practices, traditions, rituals and experiences actually become a real, profound and, and meaningful resource for us in navigating human life as it is, um, because I do think many of us are in need of that. And that can be genuinely helpful. It can be helpful to have a tradition to draw on. It can be helpful to have language given to us that helps us to describe our human experience rather than having to wrestle with it every time for ourselves. We are part of a tradition and a story and a, and a history of overlapping narratives that help us to make sense of the world in which we live. Okay, let me... Um, let me finish with a brief reflection on the idea of a brief reflection on demons. Yes, let me let me briefly reflect on demons for a moment. I um I know that this is something that that a lot of people 
wrestle with. Have they? Is there such a thing as demons? And and I I put out a, a a poll on Instagram a little while ago. Of course, you can follow me Instagram in the shift, uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, etc. Yes, social media situation. Uh, I put out an Instagram poll a little while ago, asking people if they believed in literal angels, angels and, and demons. And uh, and there was a lot of people who who responded to that. Uh, some with yes, some with no, some with I didn't give don't know as an answer. But I certainly got a bunch of messages from people being like, ah, I, I sort of, I would like to say no, actually. But then there are these experiences that I find it hard to explain. And so again, I'm not wanting to flatten all of that out and suck the mystery or the mystical out of our lives because I don't actually think that necessarily helps us. But um, I guess I do want to say that it's probably impossible to know for sure. But, um, but there are some ways of thinking about it that, that might be helpful to you. And, and I think about, again, these, these New Testament stories in particular because this is where a lot of the language about this is found in the biblical tradition and so therefore in the Christian tradition. And there are these stories of maybe Jesus casting demons out of people and so on. Uh, and those aren't just biblical stories. You know, there are stories of people around the world now who narrate similar kinds of experiences. And there are a bunch of ways of interpreting these stories, even just starting with the biblical stories. Uh, one of the ways of interpreting those is that, you know, these demons are in fact these personified beings. These are literal stories. And this is what happened. These demons were driven out and that needs to continue happening now. So that's one way of kind of interpreting those stories. And that's kind of the tradition that I grew up with, I guess, that I inherited um, and certainly was immersed in for, for a large part of, or the first half of my life uh, or more. You could also interpret these as, yes, that's, those stories are meant to be literal, but in fact, they're just silly and outdated. So they are, they are, that's what they're trying to say, but we now know much better. And so they're just silly and that's why waste your time even engaging with such stories. Um, I'm probably not a fan of either of those conclusions, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I wonder whether it's some combination of, of these two ideas, that, that in the ancient world, the language that they had available to them at the time to try and describe what they saw in the human experience um, was this kind of language that we see. They had no insight into mental health or neuroscience or the way the human body-brain system functions. They had no insight um, into any of that. But they did have insight into kind of the complexity and the, and the darkness sometimes of the human experience. And, and I think they developed language to speak about that. And sometimes we just have different language for trying to explain the same phenomenon. And I think that's okay. So that's one thing perhaps to say. The other thing to say is that even if the stories are literal and whether they're intended to be literal or not intended to be literal, I don't really know. In fact, there are loads of books written about that, but nobody really knows. As is often the case with these kinds of stories, even if they are literal, the literal is kind of the lowest form of meaning here in these stories. There's a symbolic kind of metaphorical function that's taking place in these stories that's much more helpful and interesting to us. And that's that what is going on in the experiences of these human beings in these stories is that they are they're experiencing real and genuine perhaps trauma, fractures to the, to the human self, sometimes caused by external... Um, oppression and violence, you know, and or exclusion and marginalization. And these stories function as these symbols for 
that kind of fracturing within the human psyche and also within human communities and this desire uh, to see those fractures healed, a desire to see those fractures restored and reconciled. There's a story uh, of a man named Legion who encounters Jesus and um, they've crossed the sea and they find this man who's he seems kind of out of his mind. He's naked. He has to be chained up because he has this kind of extraordinary strength. Uh, he's violent. Um, and, and there's this weird story where Jesus essentially casts out this. He, he asks, what is the name of the, of the demonic that's within this man? And the man answers, legion. And then this legion of demons is, is cast out. Now, on a literal level, you can understand that as a kind of a casting out of a bunch of demons. But there's really there's a whole lot of interesting context that lies around that. He's on the other side of the sea, and he's in an area which has just been ransacked by by Roman um, soldiers. And this phrase of legion being used to describe this collection of of demons within this man is this profound symbolic connection to the legion of Roman soldiers who have just been through this region killing and maiming and destroying. And what we're seeing here is the, is the symbolic telling of a story of a man who has experienced the trauma of violence and harm and empire and then this desire in the Christ story for that kind of trauma to be healed and for that man and for those sufferers of that kind of trauma to be reconciled to community and to be enveloped once again into a place of peace. Now, at that level, I just sort of don't care whether the story is literal or not. I care about the symbolic nature of that story as an invitation and a challenge to me as to what matters about what is what is so um, harmful in our human experience of one another and also this desire for healing and reconciliation and wholeness that we're called to take up. And so I guess that's one instance of how these stories can, in fact, still be incredibly meaningful to us, even if we think, oh, I don't, I don't know if I believe in these personified demons flying around invading people's lives. Um, even in that place, our spiritual traditions, our spiritual stories can give us the kind of symbolic world that helps us to speak of our own trauma and pain. So, those are my reflections on some of this language in the Christian tradition. I hope that's been helpful to you. What we're going to go on to talk about in the coming episodes uh, are um, to then connect this language of principalities and powers and evil and so on to biblical language of like end times, um, antichrist, mark of the beast. Uh, we're going to pull all of that language apart and put it back together again and figure out what on earth is going on with all of that and see if we can make some sense of it. So that's going to be coming up on In The Shift. In the meantime, as I say, give me a shout out, give me an email, subscribe to the podcast. You can even like it and give it, an, give it a review, a tremendous review about how tremendous this has been, uh, whatever you like. Uh, in the meantime, I look forward to, well, I'm not going to see you. I say sometimes I'll see you next time on In The Shift. I do reflect on that and think I, I won't literally see you. So perhaps I should say, You'll hear me next time. See, that doesn't work, does it? I need to come up with a better ending. Let me see what I can get in store for episode 44. Thanks as always to Reese Michelle for 
making this sound good in your ears. Until next time. Oh, there it is. Until next time. The perfect ending.